Welcome to the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. This podcast will be a sharing of part of my morning routine as I prepare for the day with the Word of God. We will be partaking of Puritan prayers from the Valley of Vision, each day's morning devotional from Charles Haddon Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, and we'll be reading from the Legacy Standard Bible, which is the newest and, I believe, the most accurate translation of the Word of God. We will be following a Bible reading calendar that provides for reading the whole Bible in a year that was created by Minister Robert Murray McShane for his congregation back in 1842, and that has been a part of my daily reading for over six years now. Good morning and welcome to the morning segment of the Sunday, January 8th episode. That would be episode 130 of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I am Wayne Floyd, your host. Um, here we are on a Sunday. I hope you are preparing and planning to go, go to church and worship with the saints this morning. I know my wife and I are. Um, definitely, it's what we're called to. So I would definitely implore you to go worship with the saints. Um, and let's go ahead and open up this morning. Let's go ahead and get our reading done. As I've pointed out a few times, and I'll probably do it for a little while just to make sure you're you're seeing what's going on. Uh, we are... Sorry about that. Uh, we have changed up um, our Read the Bible in a Year plan. We've moved from the McShane plan to a new one. Um, there are links to both because I would really encourage you to stay in your personal reading with the McShane plan and go ahead and read that along with sharing this time with me in the mornings. So let's go ahead and open up as we do on every Sunday morning. We're going to open up with the first day morning prayer. It's called Worship. O Lord, we commune with thee every day, but weekdays are worldly days, and secular concerns reduce heavenly impressions. We bless thee, therefore, for the day sacred to our souls, when we can wait upon thee and be refreshed. We thank thee for the institutions of religion, by use of which we draw near to thee and thou to us. We rejoice in another Lord's Day, when we call off our minds from the cares of the world, and attend upon thee without distractions. Let our retirement be devout, our conversation edifying, our reading pious, our hearing profitable, that our souls may be quickened and elevated. We are going to the house of prayer. Pour upon us the spirit of grace and supplication. We are going to the house of praise. Awaken in us every grateful and cheerful emotion. We are going to the house of instruction. Give testimony to the word preached and glorify it in the hearts of all who hear. May it enlighten the ignorant, Awaken the careless, reclaim the wandering, establish the weak, comfort the feeble-minded, make ready a people for their Lord. Be a sanctuary to all who cannot come. Forget not those who never come, and do thou bestow upon us benevolence towards our dependents, forgiveness towards our enemies, peaceableness towards our neighbors, openness towards our fellow Christians. Amen. All right, and now the January 8th morning devotion. The text for it is Exodus twenty-eight thirty-eight. the iniquity of the holy things. What a veil is lifted up by these words, and what a disclosure is made. It will be humbling and profitable for us to pause a while and see this sad sight. The iniquities of our public worship, its hypocrisy, formality, lukewarmness, irreverence, wandering of heart, and forgetfulness of God. What a full measure have we there. Our work for the Lord, its emulation, selfishness, carelessness, slackness, unbelief. What a mass of defilement is there. Our private devotions, their laxity, coldness, neglect, sleepiness, and vanity. 
What a mountain of dead earth is there. If we looked more carefully, we should find this iniquity to be far greater than appears at first sight. Dr. Payson, writing to his brother, says, My parish, as well as my heart, very much resembles the garden of the sluggard, and what is worse, I find that very many of my desires for the melioration of both proceed either from pride or vanity or indolence. I look at the weeds which overspread my garden, and breathe out an earnest wish that they were eradicated. But why? What prompts the wish? It may be that I may walk out and say to myself, In what fine order is my garden kept? This is pride. Or it may be that my neighbors may look over the wall and say, How finely your garden flourishes. This is vanity. Or I may wish for the destruction of the weeds, because I am weary of pulling them. This is indolence, so that even our desires after holiness may be polluted by ill motives. Under the greenest sods, worms hide themselves. We need not look long to discover them. How cheering is the thought that when the high priest bore the iniquity of the holy things, he wore upon his brow the words, Holiness to the Lord. And even so, while Jesus bears our sin, he presents before his Father's face not our unholiness, but his own holiness. Oh, for grace to view our great high priest by the eye of faith. All right. Well, that did not pick. Oh, yes, it did. <coughs> All right. And now we're going to get into our reading this morning. Uh, we're going to start in Genesis 18, starting at verse 16. And we'll be reading into Genesis 19, verse 38. So uh, Genesis 18, verse 16. Then the men rose up from there and looked down toward Sodom, and Abraham was walking with them to send them off. Now Yahweh said, Shall I conceal from Abraham what I am about to do, since Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation, and in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed? For I have known him, so that he may command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of Yahweh, to do righteousness and justice, so that Yahweh may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. So Yahweh said, The outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great, and their sin is exceedingly grave. I will go down now and see whether they have done entirely according to its outcry, which has come to me, and if not, I will know. Then the men turned away from there and went toward Sodom, while Abraham was still standing before Yahweh. Then Abraham came near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are fifty righteous within the city. Will you indeed sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the fifty righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put to death the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous and the wicked are treated alike. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do justice? So Yahweh said, If I find in Sodom fifty righteous within the city, then I will spare the whole place on their account. And Abraham answered and said, Now behold, I have ventured to speak to the Lord, although I am but dust and ashes. Suppose the fifty righteous are lacking five. Will you destroy the whole city because of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find forty-five there. Then he spoke to him yet again and said, Suppose forty are found there. And he said, I will not do it on account of the forty. Then he said, O oh, may the Lord not be angry, and I shall speak. Suppose thirty are found there. And he said, I will not do it if I find thirty there. 
And he said, Now behold, I have ventured to speak to the Lord. Suppose twenty are found there. And he said, I will not destroy it on account of the twenty. Then he said, O may the Lord not be angry, and I shall speak only this once. Suppose ten are found there. And he said, I will not destroy it on account of the ten. And as soon as he had finished speaking to Abraham, Yahweh departed, and Abraham returned to his place. Now Genesis 19. Then the two angels came to Sodom in the evening, as Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. Lot saw them and rose to meet them, and bowed down with his face to the ground. And he said, Now behold, my lords, please turn aside into your servant's house, and spend the night, and wash your feet. Then you may rise early and go on your way. They said, However, No, but we shall spend the night in the square. Yet he pressed them strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he made a feast for them, and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. Before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, surrounded the house from young to old, all the people from every quarter. And they called to Lot and said to him, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. But Lot went out to them at the doorway and shut the door behind him and said, Please, my brothers, do not act wickedly. Now behold, I have two daughters who have not known a man. Please let me bring them out to you and do to them what is good in your eyes. Only do nothing to these men inasmuch as they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, Step aside. Furthermore, they said, This one came to sojourn, and already he is persistently acting like a judge. Now we will treat you more wickedly than them. So they pressed hard against Lot and stepped up to break the door. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness from small to great, so that they wearied themselves trying to find the door. Then the two men said to Lot, Whom else have you here? A son-in-law and your sons and your daughters and everyone you have in the city. Bring them out of the place. For we are about to destroy this place because their outcry has become great before Yahweh. So Yahweh has sent us to destroy it. And Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law who were to marry his daughters and said, Get up, get out of this place, for Yahweh will destroy the city. But he appeared to his son-in-laws to be jesting. Now at the breaking of dawn, the angels urged Lot, saying, Get up, take your wife and your two daughters, who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he hesitated, so the men seized his hand and the hand of his wife and the hands of his two daughters, for the compassion of Yahweh was upon him, and they brought him out and put him outside the city. Now it happened as they brought them outside, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look behind you, and do not stay anywhere in the valley. Escape to the mountains, lest you be swept away. But Lot said to them, O no, my lords, now behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have magnified your loving kindness, which you have shown me by preserving my life. But I cannot escape to the mountains, lest calamity overtake me, and I die. Now behold, this town is near enough to flee to, and it is small. Please let me escape there. Is it not small? that my life may be preserved. And he said to him, Behold, I grant you this request also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Hurry, escape there, before I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Therefore the name of the city was called Zoar. The sun had risen over the earth when Lot came to Zoar, and Yahweh rained on Sodom and Gomorrah brimstone and fire from Yahweh out of heaven. 
and he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. Then his wife, from behind him, looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. Now Abraham arose early in the morning and went to the place where he had stood before Yahweh. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley. And he saw, and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. Thus it happened when God destroyed the cities of the valley, that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow, when he overthrew the cities in which Lot lived. And Lot went up from Zoar and stayed in the mountains, and his two daughters with him, for he was afraid to stay in Zoar, and he stayed in a cave, he and his two daughters. Then the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is not a man on earth to come into us after the manner of the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and let us lie with him, that we may preserve our seed through our father. So they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Now it happened on the following day that the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay last night with my father. Let us make him drink wine tonight also, and you go in and lie with him, that we may preserve our seed through our father. So they made their father drink wine that night also, and the younger arose and lay with him, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus both the daughters of Lot conceived by their father. And the firstborn firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. As for the younger, she also bore a son and called his name Benami. He is the father of the sons of Ammon to this day. All right, and now Matthew six twenty five through seven fourteen. Uh, this is starting the anxiety section of Matthew six. For this reason, I say to you, do not be worried about your life, as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body, as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, that they do not sow nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single cubit to his lifespan? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? You of little faith, do not worry then, saying, What will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? For all these things the Gentiles eagerly seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Matthew 7 Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with what measure you measure, it will be measured to you. And why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite! First take the log out of your own eye, 
and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet, and turn and tear you to pieces. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened. Or what may... What man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give what is good to those who ask him? Therefore, in all things, whatever you want people to do for you, so do for them. For this is the law and the prophets. Enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide, and the way is broad, that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. For the gate is narrow, and the way is constricted, that leads to life. And there are few who find it. Alright, Psalm 8. For the choir director, according to the Gittith, a psalm of David. O Yahweh our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth! who displays your splendor above the heavens. From the mouth of infants and nursing babies you have established strength, because of your adversaries, to make the enemy and the revengeful cease. When I see your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have established, what is man that you remember him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you crown him with glory and majesty. You make him to rule over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the animals of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the paths of the sea. O Yahweh our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. All right, and now Proverbs 2, 6 through 15. For Yahweh gives wisdom, from his mouth comes knowledge and discernment. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright a shield to those who walk in integrity, to guard the paths of justice, and he keeps the way of his holy ones. Then you will understand righteousness and justice, and equity every good track, for wisdom will enter your heart, and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will keep you, discernment will guard you, to deliver you from the way of evil, from the man who speaks perverse things from those who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who are glad to do evil, and they rejoice in the perversity of evil, whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their tracks. All right, well, that is our reading for the day. Um, I hope you have a wonderful day today. Um, I hope, like I said, I'd, I'd pray that you are in worship service this morning and that you go and worship with the saints um, I've, I've provided before, but again, Founders Ministry has a great church finder. Um, Master Seminary also has a great church finder. Um, I would definitely encourage you to find a solid church and worship with the saints today. Um, again, as I always implore you, go and do all that you do, particularly on this day, but it should be every day. Do all that you do for the glory of God. Um, and God willing, I will see you this evening, let's go ahead and close in prayer. Um, as is our practice, we're going to close with the Lord's Day morning prayer. O Maker and Upholder, uh, let's pray. O Maker and Upholder of all things, day and night are thine. They are also mine from thee. The night to rid me of the cares of the day, to refresh my weary body, 
to renew my natural strength, the day to summon me to new activities, to give me opportunity to glorify thee, to serve my generation, to acquire knowledge, holiness, eternal life. But one day above all days is made especially for thy honor and my improvement. The Sabbath reminds me of thy rest from creation, of the resurrection of my Savior, of his entering into repose. Thy house is mine, but I am unworthy to meet thee there, and am unfit for spiritual service. When I enter it, I come before thee as a sinner, condemned by conscience and thy word. For I am still in the body and in the wilderness, ignorant, weak, in danger, and in need of thine aid, but encouraged by thy all-sufficient grace. Let me go to thy house with a lively hope of meeting thee, knowing that there thou wilt come to me <clears throat> and give me peace. My soul is drawn out to thee in longing desires for thy presence in the sanctuary at the table where all are entertained on a feast of good things. Let me before the broken elements, emblems of thy dying love, cry to thee with broken heart for grace and forgiveness. I long for that blissful communion of thy people in thy eternal house, in the perfect kingdom. These are they that follow the Lamb. May I be of their company. Amen. All right. Again, have a wonderful day, and I hope to see you this evening. God bless. Welcome to the evening segment of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. Good evening and welcome to the evening segment of the Sunday, January 8th episode. That would be episode 130 of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I continue to be Wayne Floyd, your host, and we are going to continue this evening in our study of the Gospel of John. We're in John 3. Um, we're in a segment that's going into verses 22 through the end of the chapter. Um, and we'll be breaking this down into segments um, today and God willing over the next couple of evenings. Um, but let's first open up and um, open up with prayer. Um, we're going to be doing, as is our practice, opening up with the first day evening prayer called the teacher, the teacher. <clears throat> Sorry. Um, so let's, let's go to prayer. Oh God, we bless thee, our creator, preserver, benefactor, teacher, for opening to us the volume of nature, where we may read and consider thy works. Thou hast this day spread before us the fuller pages of revelation, and in them we see what thou wouldst have us do, what thou requirest of us, what thou hast done for us, what thou hast promised to us, what thou hast given us in Jesus. We pray thee for a conscious experience of his salvation, <clears throat> in our deliverance from sin, in our bearing his image, in our enjoying his presence, in our being upheld by his free spirit. Let us not live uncertain of what we are, of where we are going. Bear witness with our spirit that we are thy children, and enable each one to say, I know my Redeemer. Bless us with a growing sense of this salvation. If already enlightened in Christ, may we see greater things. If quickened, may we have more abundant life. If renewed, let us go on from strength to strength. Give us closer abiding in Jesus, that we may bring forth more fruit. Have a deeper sense of our obligations to him, that we may surrender all. Have a fuller joy, that we may serve him more completely. And may our faith work by love towards him who died, towards our fellow believers, 
towards our fellow men. Amen. All right, and our evening devotion for January 8th, the text is Song of Solomon's, or as I would say, Song of Songs, Thy love is better than wine. Nothing gives the believer so much joy as fellowship with Christ. He has enjoyment as others have in the common mercies of life. He can be glad both in God's gifts and God's works. But in all these separately, yea, and in all of them added together, he doth not find such substantial delight as in the matchless person of his Lord Jesus. He has wine which no vineyard on earth ever yielded, He has bread which all the cornfields of Egypt could never bring forth. Where can such sweetness be found as we have tasted in communion with our beloved? In our esteem, the joys of earth are little better than husks for swine. Compared with Jesus, the heavenly manna, we would rather have one mouthful of Christ's love and a sip of his fellowship than a whole world full of carnal delights. What is the chaff to the wheat? What is the sparkling paste to the true diamond? What is a dream to the glorious reality? What is time's mirth in its best trim compared to our Lord Jesus in his most despised estate? If you know anything of the inner life, you will confess that our highest, purest, and most enduring joys must be the fruit of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. No spring yields such sweet water as that well of God, which was digged with the soldier's spear. All earthly bliss is of the earth earthy, but the comforts of Christ's presence are like himself, heavenly. We can review our communion with Jesus and find no regrets of emptiness. Therein, there are no dregs in this wine, no dead flies in the ointment. The joy of the Lord is solid and enduring. Vanity hath not looked upon it, but discretion and prudence testify that it abideth the test of years and is in time and in eternity worthy to be called the only true delight. For nourishment, consolation, exhilaration, and refreshment, no wine can rival the love of Jesus. Let us drink to the full this evening. All right. Like I said, we're going to continue on in our study of John 3. And we're starting uh, this evening in verse 22. And I'm going to go ahead and read this whole last segment which is kind of long but um we'll go ahead and do that and then we'll go and dig back into our verses so starting john 3 verse 22 after these things jesus and his disciples came into the land of judea and there he was spending time with them and baptizing and john also was baptizing in anon near salem salim because there was much water there and people were coming and were being baptized for john had not yet been thrown into prison Therefore there arose a debate between John's disciples and a Jew about purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have borne witness, behold, he is baptizing, and all are coming to him. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given him from heaven. You yourselves are my witnesses that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent ahead of him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. So this joy of mine has been made full. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is from the earth and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. 
what he has seen and heard of that he bears witness and no one receives his witness he who has received his witness has set his seal to this that god is true for he whom god has sent speaks the words of god for he gives the spirit without measure the father loves the son and has given all things into his hand he who believes in the son has eternal life but he who does not obey the son will not see life but the wrath of god abides on him so our verses are verses 22 through 26 today um and this whole segment here could basically be termed um or titled that this is john the baptist's last witness or as i called it the final testimony of john the baptist and what we're going to do over the next couple of evenings god willing we're going to break this down um, in two major parts, but then the second part, we're going to break down into two sections. So we should be doing this over this evening into further evenings. And so what we'll see here in the final testimony of John the Baptist, we'll see first the argument and then the affirmation. And then the affirmation actually breaks down into two parts and we'll deal with them tomorrow evening and the following evening. Again, God willing. So, Again, we're continuing our study in the Gospel of John. And over the last few evenings, we've, de we've dealt with John chapter 3, verses 11 through 21. We were shown by the Apostle John the true meaning of salvation. We were shown this through Jesus addressing the issue of unbelief, the solution to unbelief, and the consequences of unbelief. Jesus makes clear that there is nothing within this world that can bring us to salvation, that only the life of righteousness Christ lived his death on the cross in our place to pay our sin debt and his resurrection to sit at the right hand of God the Father can provide for our salvation. Without true belief in that, we are lost. Without a true death to sin, a true death to sin so that we can be reborn, that we can be born again as Jesus proclaimed to um, Nicodemus. Wow, I went blank there for a minute. As the, the Jesus proclaimed to Nicodemus, can we be truly saved? So this morning, our study continues on from there. We see Jesus and his disciples leave Jerusalem. We see that at the beginning. After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea. And there he was spending time with them and baptizing. Um, so, I'm sorry, this morning. So again, this morning, our study continues. Um, we see them leave Jerusalem when they were in the beginning of this chapter and they head out into the rural area areas of Judea with Jesus and his group out in the hinterlands of Judea baptizing. We also see John the Baptist and his disciples having moved up to the area of Samaria out along the Jordan river. They're approximately um, where they spoke of the baptizing in Anon near Salim. That is an area um, it's up along the Jordan river in Samaria and it's approximately two thirds of the way from the Salt Sea to the Sea of Galilee. It's about two-thirds of the way up the Jordan River. And though they're in different areas, please remember that as small as Israel is, they're still probably within 30 miles of each other. So what we're going to see here in our verses this morning is John the Baptist's final witness, his final testimony about the Christ prior to his imprisonment, imprisonment and then his beheading. We're going to see the Baptist again make clear that Jesus is divine, that he is the Christ, that we have to believe, truly believe in him for salvation. And so like I indicated there at first, his testimony breaks down into two sections, the argument and the affirmation. 
We're going to discuss the argument this evening, like I said, and God willing, we'll deal with the affirmation in two parts over the next few evenings. So first we want to dig into the argument. So let's go, let's read back through um, John 3 verses 22 through 26. After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he was spending time with them and baptizing. And John also was baptizing in Anon near Salim because there was much water there, and people were coming and were being baptized, for John had not yet been thrown into prison. Therefore there arose a debate between John's disciples and a Jew about purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have borne witness, behold, he is baptizing, and all are coming to him. As I said, we see Jesus and his disciples out baptizing, though if you go to John 4 verse 2, you see, although and it's a parenthetical statement, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were. So the disciples were, but Jesus is not. So that makes clear again that Jesus is not baptizing. But we also see John and his disciples baptizing just prior to his being imprisoned. So per the NASB, a discussion, well, and actually per the LSB, which is what we're studying in, a discussion arises between John the Baptist's disciples and a Jew about purification. This is verse 25. Therefore, there arose a debate between John's disciples and a Jew about purification. This is a conversation regarding purification. And while the NASB refers to a discussion and even... um, the LSB speaks of a debate. Um, the well, and which is actually more accurate, and which is why I've been using the LSB. The Greek word here doesn't imply a discussion; it implies a debate, a dispute, a controversy. So they're having a controversy. They're having a debate, as the LSB says, between John's disciples and a Jew about purification. And we don't ever find out the exact content of this debate. dispute. Wow. This dispute. But again, they're having it with a Jew about purification. And remember what John has said that, that we've learned about when John speaks of the Jews, he's talking about Jewish leadership. This is not some random, some random Israelite wandering around that wanders up to his disciples and starts having dispute. This is, they're having a dispute with someone of the Jewish leadership of the Jewish religious leadership, a Pharisee, a Sadducee, a scribe, one of them, they're having that dispute about purification. So we don't ever really find out the content of the dispute, but most commentators I've read indicate that the question the disciples come and ask John makes clear what their, their real issue at the time was. They come to John and say, teacher, that guy you baptized beyond the Jordan, well, he's out there baptizing too, and everyone is going to him to be baptized. Look at verse 26. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have borne witness, behold, he is baptizing, and all are coming to him. Now, <laughs> these disciples seem to be supremely concerned that John is losing his fame and someone else is taking it. I mean, this isn't just them reporting that reporting that, that that Jesus and his disciples are baptizing somewhere else in Israel this is this isn't a, a historical report to to their rabbi 
They're bringing it to them because they're concerned about it because they see a concern. Now, again, you're going to think I'm reading stuff into it, but I don't think I am. I, I think in the context of this, it fits. And the commentators I read seem to fit this as well. The, the impact of this, the way this is being brought to him is it's being brought from them is there's, there's probably a bit of personal concern by these disciples. You got to think about it. Um, well, all we got to do is go back to John two. You know, uh, we spoke of it then when Jesus is invited, when he goes and turns water to wine, when he's invited to that wedding feast, when we, and we talked about it in all probability, since, you know, his mother seemed to be involved in the wedding. So it was probably a family wedding. Thus, Jesus was invited but because they were his disciples, his disciples were invited as well. Notice, they're getting a little bit of notice, a little bit of fame, a little bit of elevation. Um, and I'm not saying that Jesus' disciples were hunting for that, but but that's what would happen in that society, is as that rabbi became became more well-known, became more lifted up uh, in, within society, those that served him, and those that went around with him and ministered with him were also elevated. So these have been going around. I mean, we got to think about this. John the Baptist, the first prophet in over 400 years to an, to an Israel where God had been silent for those 400 years, where God had talked to them and, and sent prophets to them and everything constantly and then went dead silent for 400 years. And here is the first prophet in 400 years and the last of the prophets and the first of the preachers of the gospel. And he comes in the power and the spirit of Elijah. And, and don't just, you know, I, I mean, I know Luke, Luke one says that. And so we see that, but you got to realize, um, and maybe I didn't speak enough about it when we were dealing with that earlier in John, but John the Baptist he dressed and, and it, it wasn't a put on costume. Okay. But he dressed like Elijah. He lived like Elijah. He ate like Elijah. He preached like Elijah. And it was, again, it wasn't a show. This, this was not some drama act he was doing. He was bringing the word of God and he was doing exactly what he was commanded to. And I'm not saying God said, Oh, you should go wear this. And Oh, you should go but this was that outflowing of the Holy Spirit within John the Baptist. This was that outflowing of the Holy Spirit, this outflowing of the love of God, this outflowing of this, of this drive to be the precursor, to be the forerunner before Christ, to make, make, make straight the ways to Christ, to make straight the ways of the gospel. So his place in that society had to be so elevated and that of his disciples had been elevated as well. That had to have been I mean, that, that would have been natural in that society. And, you know, here, these, here, these disciples are seeing their, their rabbi having a huge impact. I mean, really a huge impact. I mean, no kidding to the point where the Jewish leaders are coming out. And in some cases they're being baptized and, and again, this is in a society, and I've, I've told you this before, I know, this was in a society where that was not normal. You didn't get baptized. That was only for proselytes. 
If you were a Jew, if you were an Israelite, you were a Hebrew, you, you, you got circumcised on the eighth day and that was it. There was no baptism going on, but here is John baptizing you and making clear, this is to clean you. This is to cleanse you and to bring the gospel to you. And they're coming out and doing that. And so these disciples are seeing their rabbi having a huge impact and thus they're having a huge impact. And yet all of a sudden, everybody's starting to go into this new Jesus guy that your rabbi has proclaimed, has, has called the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so they're concerned about their rabbi to begin with, that his ministry is going away. But I'm sure there was some concern. I know it would be if it was me. So I'm not saying this to bash on them. I, I'd be right there with them, unfortunately, probably worse, is they're losing their own ministry. Their own ministry is petering away. So they see a concern with that. So the argument here is that someone else, that Jesus fellow is baptizing too. And everyone is going to him with the underlying current of, aren't you concerned about that? And obviously the disciples of the Baptists were concerned about that. And so do we end up being that way. I mean, when, when we see, when we see things not happen the way we think they ought to happen within our churches, within our ministries, when we don't see things going exactly the right way, and don't get me wrong, there, there's always room for self-reflection. There's always room for reevaluating how you're doing ministry. But the crux of that should always be, what is God's purpose in this? And how does God direct us in this? And the Bible tells us how it does. And what we're going to see as we come back to this tomorrow evening, God willing, is we're going to see John's response. And we're, we're going to see the affirmation and John's affirmation. The way this, his affirmation breaks down is John makes clear to these men that he must de decrease and Christ must increase. We're going to see that. We're going to see that clearly. And we need to know that. And we're going to discuss it in more detail because we're going to wrap up for this evening. But we need to see that, that we ourselves must decrease. And Christ must increase in our ministries. All right. We're going to go ahead and wrap up this evening. And as our normal practice, we're going to go ahead and close out with the Lord's Day evening prayer. So let's pray. Most holy God, may the close of an earthly Sabbath remind me that the last of them will one day end. Animate me with joy that in heaven praise will never cease. That adoration will continue forever. That no flesh will grow weary. No congregations disperse, no affections flag, no thoughts wander, no will droop, but all will be adoring love. Guard my mind from making ordinances my stay or trust, from hewing out broken cisterns, from resting on outward helps. Wing me through earthly forms to thy immediate presence. May my feeble prayers show me the emptiness and vanity of my sins. Deepen in me the convictions that my most fervent prayers and most lowly confessions need to be repented of. May my best services bring me nearer to the cross and prompt me to cry, None but Jesus. 
By thy spirit give a biting life to the lessons of this day. May the seed sown take the deep root and yield a full harvest. Let all who see me take knowledge that I have been with thee, that thou hast taught me my need as a sinner, hast revealed a finished salvation to me, hast enriched me with all spiritual blessings, hast chosen me to show forth Jesus to others, hast helped me to dispel the mists of unbelief. O great Creator, mighty Protector, gracious Preserver, Thou dost load me with loving kindness, and hast made me thy purchased possession, and redeemed me from all guilt. I praise and bless thee for my Sabbath, my Sabbath rest, my calm conscience, my peace of heart. Amen. All right. Well, I hope you have a wonderful evening and a good night's sleep, and God willing, I will see you tomorrow morning. God bless. Thank you.